Hi, can I help you? We're looking for a van. Any special features? Child locks. Don't want to lose anyone. No windows. Privacy. No carpet or seats. Easy to hose out. Roomy. There's going to be a lot of moving around in there. Um, what is this van going to be used for? Like everyone else, we're doing a podcast. I'm Jennifer Sandwich. I'm Lisa Sweatshirt. And I am Acadia Einstein. We're the host of Yikes! Murder and Stuff. A not-safe-for-work podcast where every week we'll bring you stories of true murder, international crimes, and abnormal psychology. If that sounds like something you're into, then put your headphones on and hop in our nondescript windowless van and come see the puppies. Yikesmurderandstuff.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. Happy New Year, Mystery Solvers. It's Perhaps It's You. An unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. And surprise, we're actually talking about Unsolved Mysteries today. <gasps> Not just Hero Dogs for once. You know, I kind of want to be the Hero Dogs podcast, but <laughs> that would be an odd transition. <laughs> like, fuck the rest of this. Just dogs from now on. Like, we could have been doing this about dogs this whole time. Didn't, what were we thinking? I mean... I was going to be like, oh, it didn't occur to us, but so little occurred to us when we started this. That it's not it's like, surprising. No. Like, oh, did we consider making any other type of podcast other than Unsolved Mysteries? No. No, because we thought we were brilliant and the first people to ever think of it. <laughs> we weren't. Oh, those were naive days. Sure were. So it is now 2019. You Welcome made it, to the new year. You made it this far. I think you should give yourself a pat on the back for surviving 2018. You sure deserve it. Uh, do you have any New Year's resolutions that you want to share, Samantha? My New Year's resolution is to take more time off work. Yes, that's a great resolution for you. And I'm going to try and stick to it. I really am. Because I don't take a lot of vacations. We're planning a trip to Chicago, but it's going to be relatively short. The last, like, long vacation I took was maybe two years ago. I'm not planning on doing another one. So I think just more time here and there. Yeah. I realized over the holidays, because I did take some time off, just like a couple days, it's so nice to have that to look forward to. It makes it easier to be at work, weirdly. No, it's absolutely true. When you have that time to look forward to, and you don't have anything planned, all you want to do, all you're going to do is sit on your couch. Maybe you're going to go to secret discount Target. Maybe you're going to do anything, you know? So I'm hoping to do more of that. That's my New Year's resolution. Do you have any... I don't, any I don't really have uh, any resolutions. My New Year's Eve plans that I was really excited about was I was going to take a luxurious bath. I mean, I did. I don't know why. I'm, I'm talking like a weird tense. <laughs> to take a luxurious bath, get in bed super early, <laughs> and be asleep by like 10.30. The sleeping part didn't didn't happen, but the rest of it did. And then I wanted to get up like refreshed... New Year's Day, light a candle, and start a painting first thing in the morning, and I did. And it was great. Lovely. That is really the way to start out the New Year's, doing yeah. whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah. I was like, okay. I like had cleaned up my workspace, you know, I was like ready to start something new. It's exciting. That's great. I hope all of our listeners had a good start to your New Year. You survived the holidays. And that's that is no small thing. Sometimes that's rough. Yeah. So congratulations for that. And now maybe you got to just like bunker in your house for a couple months and not really see anybody. Right this is out like the cold. Great. Depending on where you live. Introvert time. 
It really just is. Be cozy and ignore everyone. <laughs> Maybe watch every season of Law and Order. Maybe which is what Liz is planning. Maybe you have twenty discs of Law and Order to get through. I've now's the time. I've just started season two, so. I've Would got, you say you're behind in your Law and Order plans? Or it just hasn't. Are been you that, not really going by a plan, a schedule? It just hasn't been that cold yet. I haven't. We haven't gotten into the like the meat of it. The well, yeah, it's <laughs> the, like forty degrees today. We're not in like deep dark winter. So where you want to just hibernate on your couch? I mean, it is dark a lot. I feel like it's a time where like your body is just like sleep, sleep, sleep. Like that's all you want. But yeah, sitting on the couch in front of whatever you want to watch on TV sounds really time so nice that, on a gloomy yeah. winter's day. I'm, I mean, I'm still in my pajamas right now, and it's like afternoon, so I'm <clears> probably not going anywhere today. <laughs> but look, you're making so, a podcast. I, I mean, I'm working right now. Exactly. We get paid for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so totally. Speaking of, I want to give a big oh thank you to God. all of our listeners who have. While we were on hiatus, we got some gifts. So many gifts. Everyone has been so generous. We made an Amazon wish list kind of like not seriously expecting to get anything. And we received so many things that are helping us out with the podcast, helping us out just to relax. We got a couple sheet masks. Yeah. Um, George sent us a microphone arm that Samantha is using right now. And Amazon was not cooperating. He had to really struggle. I don't know what Amazon's deal is. Got so we had a lot convoluted of with the holidays. I feel like, and they just cut. I don't. I don't even know. But we, we had a lot of problems. I appreciate everyone <laughs> he persevered who, to make sure that you would get this microphone arm. This microphone arm is amazing. Yes, we previously were using microphone stands that sat in front of us on the table, which is why we were always knocking them, constantly knocking the microphone because I have notes. I have all these cords. Our setup is look. It's it's not probably as good as it could be so there's cords everywhere <laughs> i have notes I random have things on the table i usually tissue have a, box. A, a polar water that i'm yeah. hitting with my hands so now i have a lot of space in front of me and you'll hear less thunking yeah, which i think hopefully. is gonna be great yes so, so thank you george this is amazing huge thanks to george huge thanks to gary slash christy you go by both names on instagram and facebook who sent us an amazing gift of the, a like, suitcase full life, of cheesies. Lifetime supply of cheesies. We will never run out of cheesies. Our Canadian friend to the north of us. I also feel like this package must have cost $1 million to ship. I don't even want to think about how much it must have cost to ship. Amazing. Yeah. You knitted us something. Yes. We have magic rocks now. Matches Robbie Stacky. I appreciate the color scheme <laughs> of the sh- little shawl scarf. I'm going to have to like re-inflate Robbie Stacky so he can wear the shawl. I really think you should. The podcast room is missing something, and I think it's Robbie Stacky wearing a shawl. Yeah. It has a Christmas tree right now, but that's going to come down, so great spot for Robbie Stacky wearing exactly. it. Even though he's really not the mascot anymore. That's true. Mustache is our new mascot. But we're not only kicking Robbie Stacky to the curb. My new favorite thing is when (laughs) Rochelle besmirches and she, Mustache, the dog, a hero of the French Revolution. (laughs) On our holiday episode. And was like, yeah, I don't care. And you just go, how dare you? (laughs) So great. Mustache is an institution now. I 
could listen to just that little clip over and over again. <laughs> so great. Don't dare, How dare smirch the I like mask that the beginning of, of that podcast is literally just us like screaming at Michelle. Rochelle is so tolerant. Yeah, she really is. She's, Thanks, Rochelle. We really appreciate her coming on the show. It was a lot of fun recording the holiday special. <laughs> if you liked us, liked it, let us know because we have a lot more ghost stories, let me tell you. That's they weren't true. good. They were not good ghost stories. But we have even more. But we Mediocre. Had, ghost story we had fun reading them so yeah so basically i just wanted to give a big thank you to everyone who sent and us maxwell. something maxwell maxwell sent us a witch calendar to help us hex the patriarchy this year so nice maxwell is the host maxwell. of the relic podcast an amazing podcast you should definitely check out he's like in the process of moving to australia and he's sending us calendars his life i watch his life play out on twitter and i'm just like <laughs> i live vicariously through maxwell because i would I love to be moving to australia other Except for the things that can kill you. I'm not all about that. I mean, but there's people who can kill you here. Exactly. <laughs> so, and in Australia, you have the beautiful coastline. Like, I would love to be there. Yeah. So. Seems nice. Thanks, Maxwell. We need a lot of help planning. We do, actually. We, we're going to need that. Because we have a lot going on in February. Liz and I are both going on trips. Yeah. So, I don't know we gotta, how we're going to yeah. crank out the content in February, but we're going to use this calendar to figure it out. So, Maxwell, thank you. <sighs> we appreciate it. Oh, I'm going to put on some eye masks. Right oh, me now. too. I'm putting on CLG, firming and detoxifying. Mine literally says rich on it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be so beautiful. I can feel my crow's oh, feet oh. disappearing as we speak. This feels lovely. Mine smells really nice. I don't know if that's good to put under your eyes, but... <laughs> Make me young again. <laughs> All right, okay. Is this your favorite part of the podcast where we put on sheet masks and eye masks? <laughs> Obviously. Wait, what episode are we on? So we are doing season three, episode 10. Did we have any updates? I know I had an update. I did know. I write it down? <laughs> I know I did too. I Okay. We've yeah. had a little bit of a break. Look, it's, you know, do I remember who Robert Stack is or what an unsolved mystery is? I, Some days, barely. Yeah. Oh, one update is that I noticed that now you can watch for free on Amazon Prime Troll 2. So you're welcome. That bad movie I keep Very talking about. important update. Very important update. Be sure to check out the worst movie ever made, Troll 2. Um, I feel like there was actually some important updates, but... I don't remember what they are. You know what? They're going to have to fucking wait. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. We are professional podcasters. Sure are. All right. Should we jump right into the mystery? Yes. You go first this week. I do. I have an unexplained death. This is an unexplained death. Usually that's just a way of saying murder. Not really sure about this one. Yeah. Maybe that's why they call it that. Possibly. So there can be these things where you don't really know. Yeah. Someone died and it is unexplained. Okay. So on August... This is a good one. 21st, 1989, 17-year-old Norman Ladner left his parents' country store to go hunting on the family farm near Pekawane, Mississippi. Uh It's a small town. Norman was a popular high school student who loved the outdoors. He knew his family's 122-acre property like the back of his hand. According to Norman Ladner Sr., his son was late coming home. He said Norman would always be back 7 to 7.30 in the afternoon. And about 7 o'clock, I began to get worried about him because he was very punctual and it was most unusual. I have this to say about this reenactment. The kid they use for Norman looks way younger than Norman was. Yeah. In real life. Norman was a high school senior. 
Right. I think he was 18. He may have been 17, but the kid they used for him is like an actor. a kid. Is a kid. That's a really good point. I watched this episode twice. The first time, I did not catch this mention yeah. of his age. And so that really affected how I thought about what could have happened based on thinking that he was like 10. Right. In the reenactment. So I want to mention that if you're watching along. No, that's a super good He was good a high point. school senior. They show he, a picture of him. He looks like almost a young adult. Sure. All right. When Norman Sr. searched the property, he found his son lying on the ground. This reenactment is brutal. It's So they often use family members in reenactments, and I'm sure the family agrees to do it. But it had to have been really difficult for Norman's father to participate in these reenactments because they really do reenact him finding his dead son. Who wants to relive that? And then the coroner coming, putting him in a body bag, and putting him in. Like, who would want to relive that moment? I don't know, but that is rough. I felt so bad for these parents. Yeah. Yeah, they do a lot of interviews of the parents for this segment, and it's really heartbreaking. So Norman's father said, I knelt down by him and felt that he was cold, so I knew he had been dead for a while. It's a deep shock and a tragedy to find your own son dead because you could never imagine or think how this could happen until you've experienced it. The the, the music is like high drama right now. Oh, yeah. The parents are like so composed, like in a way that I could never imagine being. No, not at all. But they've okay. really, t- and we'll talk about it in a minute, they've taken on this, like, investigator, like, role in this. Yes. And they take it very seriously, and I think they... I would just be a wreck, I yeah, think. Yeah, I would not be able to handle it. So a single gunshot to the head had taken the young man's life. Just after 10 p.m., the sheriff's department arrived. They roped off the area and began their investigation. All right, so Sheriff Lawrence Lumpkin is on the case. <laughs> this is the greatest name! <laughs> so- it sounds like something from a cartoon. There's yeah. no way that's real. It Okay, I, I drew the mustache. He has a mustache. I was wondering if you thought he should be MVM. I, the mustaches in this episode are pretty boring. I drew two of them. They're like, they're just... It's a standard cop mustache. I, I literally know. called this the boring. <laughs> yeah. Mr. You can picture it right now. It's just like mustache. Sheriff Lumpkin has a boring but mustache. his name is Sheriff Lumpkin. <laughs> what? I know. But that, has, that might be the name of this episode. Sheriff Lumpkin. So there are a lot of theories about what may have happened to Norman. Some of them involve some nefarious activity on the part of the Sheriff's Department. I don't know that I'm on in that camp, but I will say that Sheriff Lumpkin did not do a good job of investigating. No, he we'll did not. get more into it. But this is what he says. Foul play is the first thing that I normally address in the course of an investigation. I ruled it out in this instance because I saw nothing there to indicate that. At first, I thought it might have been an accident. It looked as though he might have been in a tree nearby and subsequently fallen out of the tree and the gun discharged. They arrive on the scene and instantly determine couldn't have been foul play. Without really investigating... Based on what? Nothing. Nothing. Based on nothing. And we'll learn in a little bit that there are some, there's some evidence to suggest that maybe it wasn't an accident or what they'll come or suicide, which is what they ultimately rule. I love these eye masks so much. My eyes feel so nice. (laughs) (laughs) Liz is just touching hers. I also really like the smell of mine, which again, don't know if that's a good thing. They're like really stuck on there. Yours looked nice and thick. It's because. This is the rich brand. <laughs> oh, yes. Did those come from Marshalls? You know, I think someone sent these to me, so I don't even know where they're from. Did a listener send that? 
No. Oh, okay. Which, why? <laughs> Get on that. Chop I really enjoyed the face mask that a listener sent. I don't remember who. That was Becky. Oh, Becky. Yes, that was face luxurious. Mask. I'm going to do that tonight, maybe. I wore mine I've on, been saving it. on New Year's Eve. Oh, that's perfect. It was lovely. Okay, so Norman's father said that the coroner also told him that it was an accidental death. He says the coroner came back to the store after the results of his examination, and he came up with two deputies, and he said that he felt that he was 90% sure that it was an accidental shooting. However, Norman's family was in for a terrible shock. When the official ruling came in, the coroner said that Norman did not die from an accident. He committed suicide. The coroner's decision was based on the fact that Norman died from a close contact head wound. The bullet entered his right temple and exited his left temple. What they called it a very typical suicide wound. Sheriff Lumpkin speculates. I can't take that name seriously. Sheriff Lumpkin. Don't you picture like a cartoon bear wearing like a little (laughs) sheriff's outfit? Like, yeah, then everybody's like, oh no, Sheriff Lumpkin's here to break (laughs) up the party. It's all the little forest creatures having a little party and Sheriff Lumpkin rolls in. Oh no, buzzkill, Sheriff Lumpkin's here. It really does. All right, so Sheriff Lumpkin says, I think that he went back into an area where he felt comfortable and for reasons that we don't know, decided to take his life. That is a leap. The evidence is not really there. I mean, I will say they don't go into a lot of details. Like, we don't get detailed information on what was in the coroner's report. But I don't It seems like they did minimal investigation. Now, I will say that... I can see why the family is not satisfied with this answer. Right. Like, part of you wants to say, okay, because what the sheriff is basically saying is that these people are in denial. It's hard to accept that their son committed suicide. I get that. I do get that to I, a point. Yeah. But there's other aspects of this case that make you wonder. And also, even if it was, even if they came to the correct conclusion, I think the way the sheriff's department handled it, of course, that the family is not going to be satisfied with that outcome. Right. Like, they did not handle it well at all. I don't think they investigated it well. They didn't. They didn't communicate to the family well. Fingerprint the gun. Yeah. They didn't. There was something else, They didn't make any effort to find the bullet. We'll get into that in a second. Right, Like, if you're you're expecting a family to accept shocking and horrible news, you kind of need to be thorough. Yeah. You should be thorough no matter what. Well, yes. But don't be surprised they're not accepting your answer when you've done sort of the bare minimum. Like, even less than the bare minimum. Yeah. So, Norman Sr. couldn't see how this was possible. He said, I knew my son too well. He enjoyed and lived life to the fullest. He was happy. He, all of that. Which, people, we, don't, we yeah. don't know. People always say that. It's, it's hard to say. We can only look at the, at the evidence, really. So, there were other problems. Norman's wallet with $140 was missing. He had a one and a quarter inch long cut on the very top of his head. So if Norman Norman had taken his own life, how did that cut get there? Authorities said that the head wound was caused by a bloody tree root found at the scene, but Norman Sr. doesn't think that's possible because the cut was on the crown of yeah, his How head. do you hit the crown of your head on the ground? And it really didn't seem like he... he wasn't that he, he wasn't found at the base of a tree, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like he fell straight down right. or anything like that. Like, there were trees nearby. They're acting like he did a headstand and then committed suicide. Right. It's weird. <laughs> So Norman's father says, we didn't see how that could happen because falling straight back, you would hit your head on the side or directly on the back, not up on the crown of your head, up on the peak, like the very top of his head. So Norman's parents began their own investigation. They dug around in the dirt where their son had 
fallen to see if they could find the bullet that had taken his life. They did find a bullet. What? Why is the family doing this? I don't know. Sheriff Lumpkin, do your job. This is the that's the infuriating part to me because his mother is interviewed for the show, and like Liz said, she's very composed, but she talks about sifting through bits of her son's brain that was in the dirt. That is rough. And the fact that the family had to do that, I think his siblings unacceptable. Unacceptable. So they found a bullet. This is what Norman Sr. says. We found a bullet that was longer than the bullet that Norman's gun would hold. The chamber was not bored out for the length of that bullet, and it had dried blood and hair. We examined it under the magnifying glass, and I guess it looked like his hair. These people are not forensic scientists, um, but... But they've been put in this position where they have to find the evidence themselves. Also... Like, is it a coincidence that directly where their son's head was, they found a bullet covered in blood? Right. Like, the sheriff tries to say, um, this is what Sheriff Lumpkin says, we don't have any reason to believe that that was the bullet that was fired that caused the boy's death, mainly because we feel that the boy was standing at the time that the gun was fired. And if that was the case, it would not have been in the ground underneath his head. He was trying to say that the trajectory of the bullet, based on what the coroner said, meant that he had to have been standing. So just ignore this other evidence? I guess. And what Sheriff Lumpkin said in the show was, we don't know where that bullet came from. Well, the family's telling you where it came from, where they found it. Yeah. Like, you're just going to completely dismiss that? I suppose the chain of evidence is maybe not true. But because they didn't look. Right, the sheriff's department should have found that. They brought that on themselves. You would think that part of the investigation would be to excavate the area underneath the head. If you haven't found a bullet, absolutely. But they didn't do that at all. So the Ladners gave the bullet... They did very little, it seems like. Yeah, to a state ballistics expert, but he could not tell if it had come from Norman's rifle. And when they were given back the bullet, they claim it was not the same one that they had found. A few weeks later, Norman's parents went to the coroner's office to request his ruling. His mother said that a stranger interrupted their conversation. He said, Mrs. Ladner, don't open this case up. You have other children. I suggest you raise them for your own good. You'll never find the person that killed your son. And then he just left. This is a weird interaction that I think yeah. a lot of people use to suggest that maybe there's some corruption in the police office. Okay, so unfazed, Norman's father returned to the area where his son died. 300 yards away, he found a strange radio-like device that looked homemade. State authorities said it was not an important clue, but a neighbor suggested he show it to an ex-narcotics agent who lived in the area. Norman Sr. recalled what he was told. This is his quote. The former DEA agent said that this was a type of device that drug dealers used to signal aircraft by sending out a low-range signal for the proper alignment to drop a shipment of drugs. So this kind of sounds like a boys on the tracks type of situation it's where in this rural area, vibes. it may be the case that these planes are flying in dropping drugs. I have to say, it's really a shame that Hillary Clinton killed this boy. (laughs) Tisk, tisk, Hillary. She was real busy. She left the scene where she was rolling those boys onto the tracks. And then she was like, I gotta make a quick stop, everyone. And then she, like, cocked the rifle. I don't know anything about guns, but, you know, like, And then she was like, let's roll. (laughs) And she hopped in the back of a Jeep, and they went and they killed this kid. Right? I'm assuming that's what happened. Um, That'll probably be the update. No one knows what I'm talking about. We're talking about the Boys on the Tracks murder, which some people think literally literally think that Hillary Clinton is the murderer. (laughs) And I just 
when will her killing spree end is my question <laughs> so wild hillary stop i don't remember what do you remember what season was that in one or two i think that was one so we talk about the boys on the tracks uh episode that is in such a like her, it is wormhole oh my goodness buckle up if you haven't conspiracy l- theories and it's, yeah. it's a very sad case of two boys who were hit by a train and were probably already dead before the train came so then the question is what the fuck it's wild because so the authority answered that what the fuck question with i know <laughs> hillary clinton she was down there in a brightly colored suit there are some, you, you know how a lot of conspiracy theories just pull on these threads that do exist, but then they just unravel they into just, this madness? Oh, are you talking That's, about how uh, Katy Perry is Jean-Pierre <laughs> Ramsey because yes. they have the same eyebrows? Yes. That's, uh, did I make that up? No, I could never make that up. That's real a real true. theory. It's real true. Did you know that your eyebrows don't change? That's like the hinge of the... <laughs> when you're a young child to when you're a, a pop star, you have the exact same eyebrows. Yeah, I'm sure no work has ever been done on Katy Perry's eyebrows. No. I'm sure that's the way they just grow in. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, there, I mean, there's, yeah, Bill Clinton was the governor. Like, there's, there's these threads that people, like, pull on to right, get like, to could this Right, the governor's office had done theory. more investigating? Absolutely. Were authorities in this area probably involved? Yes. Yeah. Does that mean that Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton themselves <laughs> rolled those boys went, onto the tracks? They were like, Bill, no one can know of this. <laughs> There's only believe? one thing left to do. Yeah. And Bill went, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Do we believe the coroner's ru- or the medical examiner's ruling that they had smoked 40 marijuana <laughs> cigarettes and then just laid down oh to God. sleep I on the track about the 40 marijuana cigarettes? <laughs> no, at we least do not. no one in this case is claiming that this kid smoked 40 joints. And I'm sorry, it's more funny to say marijuana cigarettes and then was like, you fell know, fell on his gun, and then fell on his gun, tried to make out with his gun and it went off or something. Yeah. So because we know who did it, <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Where was Mystery she solved. that day? Yeah, prove she wasn't here. Think about it. <laughs> Killing this boy. Think about it. All right. So, I feel like that's actually a person who's like probably every moment is like very well chronicled. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> like I'm sure we could pretty easily find out where Hillary Clinton was that day, opposed to me. You know, right. it was like, where was Liz? I don't probably at home asleep. Who knows? And she's like, oh, she was actually like out fundraising event, yes. for <laughs> So murderer. So Norman believes that his son came upon drug dealers in the woods and they killed him because they didn't want any eyewitnesses. Authorities continue to stand by the coroner's ruling, but Norman's mother says it was nothing less than cold-blooded murder. She says, we will not stop the investigation no matter what until it's finished. We owe it to our son and we owe it to our children. We owe it to ourselves and we owe it to the other people's children out there as well. So sadly, this case is unsolved. It's I believe Norman's sad. parents, at least his father, are both passed away, and they never got a resolution to this case. I had so much respect for them in this segment, and it's just such a fucking tragedy. And It's really horrible. Regardless of whether or not the authorities in this area are corrupt and involved in this drug smuggling, we don't know. They It does appear that they did a poor job investigating this. They just... Rule, they ruled it either an accident or a suicide, and that was that. that. They didn't look into it 
The fact that they dismissed that radio that's on his property makes me think they were at least, like, looking the other way. I think so. And maybe they didn't... You get those vibes from it, for sure. Maybe they didn't want to investigate this death more because they didn't want to draw any attention to the drug thing and the that fact they were looking the other way it could be that it doesn't mean necessarily that the drug dealers killed him but they didn't want more light they on that yeah, or they didn't want people looking into yeah. what was happening in this area it's a really good point about his age because when i was thinking about him younger i was more inclined to think it was an accidental shooting but i don't know when you yeah when you I think Unsolved Mysteries is a little... I don't know if they did it intentionally, but it does seem manipulative the way that they shot this reenactment because he looks so much younger. And you do think, how could this young boy commit suicide? Right. Which young... Younger children do, but it's... It's pretty rare. It's not as common for a young man, you know, because Norman was a young man. And so you have to take that into consideration too so it's like i i really don't know i really don't know one of my reactions to it was absolutely like this is if this is a result of him seeing drug dealers like that's the result of the war on drugs (laughs) right like cracking down on drug dealers just creates all these other crimes like all this unnecessary violence yep that's so unfortunate that really, it's just like, let people do drugs. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, so not worth it. No. Ugh. It's it's really not. So. My, my true anger is reserved for the killer, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> when d- will she apologize, everyone? When will she be stopped? <laughs> when How many dead children? Of terror. Until, the yes. thing is, there's probably a podcast going on right now that is saying the exact same thing we're saying, except, like, serious. Totally serious. When will her reign of child murder end? I know. I know. Never! <laughs> Alright, you have the next one. I have another unexplained death. And this has another really great name. Which is Dwayne McCorkendale. <laughs> is he a truck driver? You bet your sweet ass he is. <laughs> this takes place in Chandler, Oklahoma, November 12th, 1988. How much did you want Unsolved Mysteries to play one of those trucker songs? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Because they 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 take a moment to like wax po- poetic about... CB, CB, radios. CB radios and how truckers are out there on the open road <laughs> with with their only lifeline. It's a CB radio. Howdy, howdy. Yeah, and he wanted, like, we're gonna have a convoy yes. or whatever. <laughs> so guess, yeah, but obviously Unsolved Mysteries couldn't afford that, so True. sorry. You just get, like, a little... You could maybe, while you're watching this the segment, turn it road. on. Yeah. Turn YouTube on on your phone or whatever and play that convoy song it's the only one i know there the footage of the trucks while they're talking about this is like very cheesy and hilarious to me i really literally wrote down footage of trucks haha because they're like (laughs) rolling over the hills in the sunshine and it's like i don't it's so silly it's like such a like very american the the romance of the open road interstate highways i don't (laughs) i don't know it's so funny um but this case is actually sad it is at approximately 8.20 on November 12, 1988, the body of 28-year-old 
truck driver Dwayne McCorkendale was found next to a highway phone booth at a rest stop in Chandler, Oklahoma. Coins were scattered around his body, and it seemed that he had been shot to death while being robbed, which is especially sad because truck drivers, like, purposely don't really carry cash on him, and it's thought that he had, like, $25. Yeah, at the most, he the robber, murderer, would have made off with, yeah, 20 bucks. Yeah, it's like, all right. No. Somehow, if he had more money, his death would seem more justifiable. I was just about to say not worth it, but then I thought, well, no amount of money would be worth it. No, but it's like... But it's still even... It adds to the tragedy. It makes you go, you're bad at crime. Right. Like, you're killing people over $25? Like, go rob a bank. Right. What's wrong with you? Um, Yeah, so very sadly, Dwayne was a married father of twin girls from... With twin girls from Kansas City, Kansas. He had been working as a truck driver for a couple years. The reason the CB radios come up is because, you know, he's like on the radio chatting to the other truck drivers and he mentioned that he was going to pull over to call home and just like check in. So they were sort of wondering, did someone hear him on the radio and know he was going to pull over or were they just waiting at the payphone knowing like inevitably someone would stop and pretty sure that's more likely yeah (laughs) i agree but (laughs) it's something that they like they really the problem is is they have nothing to go off of so they're trying to grasp at anything yeah and this radio thing and this was like maybe a regular route for him like he would go from detroit michigan to to Oklahoma City, like, moving machine parts. And he, I don't know, like, every week or every couple weeks. So, yeah, there's just, like, it's just a regular day of his life. There's, like, nothing special about it. It's not like he was moving something valuable. Right. Um, It's just a random, senseless, violent crime. So, like, where do you go from there? And I do appreciate it that they seem to take it, like, really seriously. And... They recognize, like, this is the sort of person who's going to do this again. Which, very true. Yeah. So, one avenue that they explored to get evidence for the case was that they put articles in trucker magazines to ask for information, which I thought was really smart because you're looking for people that are, like, spread across the whole country. They're moving all the time. If this person is targeting truck drivers, then someone might see something. And it's also a community with, like, some camaraderie, so it's going to be like, oh, it's, like, it's one of our own. Like, we got to, like, help out. So I thought that was really smart, and they did get some leads from that. Um, One was that several truck drivers had been harassed by a Ford Pinto that had a CB radio for some reason. And the car would, like, purposely cut off trucks on the highway and then, like, mock... This sounds so made up. And then mock them on the radio. And when the truckers would be like, what the hell are you doing? You're going to get yourself killed? They'd be like, no, we're going to kill you. Like, we killed that other trucker. Right. That sort of sounds just like an asshole to me. <laughs> Someone who's just getting their kicks by... Being rude. It's like, yeah. the internet hadn't been existed. It didn't exist, so they couldn't be an internet troll. Right, so this is what they, they turned to. They were CB radio trolls. <laughs> and there are certain people that like are thrill seekers, and they probably got a lot right. of excitement from cutting off... Tr- you know what I mean? And like just being a dick. Yeah. So, I wonder if this is someone who has a CB radio in their car. I wonder if they just read in a trucker magazine that a trucker had been killed and was just like mocking people. Very, they very well could have. I don't really know that that's evidence, but it is someone who was like 
we're the murderers. <laughs> <laughs> like, how is that real? I don't know. Okay. There was also a driver named Ed who had a strange encounter with a woman that he believes was in that Pinto. Oh um, my gosh, this. This woman, like, comes up and asks if he had any, if he had any dope. And this is, like, seemed like the squarest, like, old man. Like, I can't imagine, like, approaching him and being like, hey, man. Do you have any dope? Do you have any dope? It would be like asking my grandfather, <laughs> like, hey, can I bump, can I bump 40 marijuana cigarettes <laughs> And the guy was like, um, no. And then she was, like, saying that she needed money because she really needed, like, a hit and blah, blah, blah. And at some point, he, she, like, says he, she needs direction. So he, like, turns in the cab slightly. And she, like, puts her whole body through the window and is like, we just need money. I need drugs. And he, like, manages to get her out of the cab. And then she jumps in this brown Ford Pinto and drives away. Right. So they're trying to make these connections. That, yeah, that... They were desperate for money. Right. There's these drug fiends out there, and they're, they'll do anything. They're driving Ford Pintos. They're driving Ford Pintos just around. <laughs> which, like, I don't know. Gas costs money. Yeah. How desperate are they? <laughs> they're just driving around, taunting truckers, demanding drugs, and generally being annoying. I Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Who so, knows? That incident happened the day before Dwayne's murder, about 13 miles away. Um, however, there's never really, like, any connection. Like, were those people actually they connected? Don't know. They have no idea. So, so, the three people in the Pinto were described as a black, as a white and black and white female. What? What? This is a white... Okay, I think we have a one white male, one black male, and one white female. It should be noticed that the female confronted Ed for drugs in the area of Dwayne's murder, leading to possible motive for robbery. There are no sketches available of the car's occupants. Okay. It should be noted that the Pinto had one very distinct feature. A CB radio. <laughs> uh, none of the occupants were identified. Okay. So, yeah, it's unsolved. The investigators have looked into a possibility that an unidentified woman called Mercedes was involved in Wayne's de- Dwayne's death. Her name was Mercedes? Okay. <laughs> she was murdered by her boyfriend, Did James. she have the accomplice, Ford Pinto? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I'm honestly like, that's why I was like, wait, what? What is happening? She was murdered by her boyfriend, James McAlphin on July 10th, 1991. Was this in the episode? No. This is all extra info. Yeah. Sometimes we get extra info on the wiki. Provi- prior to her death, he used several false identities. To date, her real name is unknown. Investigators learned that prior to her death, she had mentioned that she used to was used as a lure to get truck drivers out of their trucks, where her companion would then rob the truckers. In one case, the companion murdered one of the truckers. It is possible that she was referring to Dwayne. Investigators noted that she matched the description of the woman seen by Ed. But we don't actually know if that woman was connected to Dwayne McCorkendale's murder. Yeah, they could have been two separate incidents. Yeah, I'm sure. There, I feel like there's like one case ever where a trucker got robbed. Um, yeah, that's, like, it. <laughs> it's really sad. It's really sad, and his wife points out that he just would have handed over that $25. Right. Like, why... This person shot him in the back and then looked to see if he had money. Yeah, he would just, have just handed just it over. ask for the money. 
So be better at crimes. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, Robert Stack says the ridiculous thing, but for him, the freedom of the the freedom of the road ended in one violent and spineless split second. <laughs> okay, so take that with you. All right. Yeah, I don't know. This really is just a, it mostly is besmirching Ford Pintos. So yeah, you don't really see those around anymore. True. <laughs> All right, so our next one is a miracle. Oh, yes. We have another New Mexico mystery. Yeah, a lot of mysteries in New Mexico. It's a mysterious place. This is actually one of my least favorite New Mexico mysteries, but at least... it's about a staircase. (laughs) This is about nuns in a staircase. But at least it's not sad. True, true. Okay, so Robert Stegg opens this segment by saying, A century and a half ago, Santa Fe, New Mexico, was the last outpost of the Santa Fe Trail, a bustling, untamed haven for outlaws, gamblers, mavericks, and renegades. Oh, my God. (laughs) Also, retired, rich white people... That have decided living in Santa Fe means they get to wear cowboy hats <laughs> and like five turquoise necklaces at once. That's <laughs> Sounds about right. That's also it's also an outpost for them. All right. So in nineteen fifty, I'm sorry, in eighteen fifty two, the sisters of <laughs> Loretto, a religious organization in Kentucky, sent se- seven nuns to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Along the way, one passed away due to cholera, and one had to. Tr- uh, turn around and go back to Kentucky due to illness. When it's a regular Oregon Trail. Mm-hmm, when the five nun, remaining nuns arrived in Santa Fe, they started a school and made plans to build a chapel. In April 1878, the Chapel of Our Lady Light, now known as the Loretto Chapel, was completed in Santa Fe. It took more than five years to complete the construction of the chapel. The nuns were happy with the building except for one thing. There was no staircase leading to the choir loft. Which, hello, bring that up. During construction. Why do you wait till it's done? And you're like, well, obviously we need a staircase here. So part of the problem, there was a woman interviewed for the show. I'm not sure what her credentials are, but she says that... Staircase expert. Typically, for most chapels, they would just have a run-of-the-mill straight-up ladder, and that's how you got to the choir loft. So that was how this one was built. The problem is that the nuns wear long robes, so they are not able to climb a traditional ladder. Uh Little known fact, nuns hate ladders. So this was not acceptable. I'm trying to imagine myself climbing a ladder in like a maxi skirt. I would fall and break my neck. It's it's more their hatred of it, though. Well, maybe maybe (laughs) they despise ladders. I'm just making shit up that's not even funny. (laughs) But I do think maybe they should have brought up this problem earlier. (laughs) should have probably mentioned it. So they brought in several... Use your words, nuns. Communicate. (laughs) Several carpenters were brought in, but none could think of a good way to create a staircase without removing too many of the pews. They interview a sister who is currently living. (laughs) Or like... (laughs) How would they get up, though? Well, you put like the You put a staircase outside, and then they climb it, (laughs) and then they zip (laughs) line to the corner. Yeah. Or you just put like the harness on them, and then like... You know, you just hire a really strong man to just like crank a a winch. (laughs) You hire a really strong man to crank. I think we solved this problem. (laughs) They should have hired us. They didn't need carpenters. Like, here, this is what you need to do, sisters. Trampoline. (laughs) You can cut a hole in the ceiling and just drop them in from a helicopter. Have I 
shared that for some reason my high school thought a good use of money was to be have our mascot, who was a tiger, um, what's that when you jump out of a plane? Skydive? Skydive into a field, a football <laughs> field during a pep assembly. What? Yes. How much did that cost? I have no idea, but even as a... insane. Even as a high school student, I was like, this is not a good use of funds. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, I don't know, to, like, get low enough, they were like, okay, and now your mascot, which I think was called Tony the Tiger, but then they had to switch it for obvious reasons, so they were, like, unveiling, I don't even know... Timmy the Tiger. Timmy, yeah, Timmy the Tiger. So that... But then, like, the plane had to, like fly around in a circle for like 20 minutes while we sat there and then anticlimactically a tiger a guy in a tiger mascot outfit skydived into the field and was just like ta-da you were all like can we get on with it already and we were like couldn't you have like done anything else with that money my locker's rusty So here's what they do. They skydive into the chapel. My aunt- that would make Sunday service a lot more exciting <laughs> if the nuns skydived into the choir loft. <laughs> also, my school song was Eye of the Tiger, which I'm sure is a copyright violation. Probably. So I'm just picturing that song playing as the nuns. Your are- school didn't even come up with its own song? No. They just stole they Eye of the Tiger? stole Eye of the Tiger and played it like 20 times over the intercom every single Friday. <laughs> But yeah, I'm just picturing the nuns coming in like, dun, 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 dun. And here it is, Sister Agatha. Dun, dun, dun. I am crying. so bad we've come with so many solutions i am dead that was the funniest thing <laughs> so they like grab the mic <laughs> once they're all in there yeah. they just break out into a chorus yeah it's like sister act all of a sudden oh my god yeah they didn't need a fucking staircase but all right so <laughs> yes yeah, sorry so they're interviewing a current sister it's now like a like it's still a Chapel. nunnery like it's yeah. still like an active but it's also a tourist attraction so they interview this woman and she said they brought in so many ca- uh carpenters but they all just shook their heads in dismay <laughs> as carpenters are wont to do <laughs> so the nuns decided to pray a staircase out of wood can't, no can't, can't be done <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i thought you wanted it made out of something practical like turtles <laughs> i gotta go <laughs> So, obviously, they decided to pray. That's what they do. So, they... (laughs) God, it's their solution to everything. (laughs) So, the nuns decided to pray to St. Joseph, the patron saint of carpenters, for a miracle. They completed... Who's the patron saint of podcasts? We need that miracle. Robert Stack? I feel like... I mean, he's the patron saint of this podcast. Oh, that's a good point. Okay. Maybe not every podcast. (laughs) podcast. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit about Joe Rogan's podcast. (laughs) Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. We really need one of 
those like prayer candles with Robert Stack on it. Yeah, it's that we could true. light for every recording. Okay, so they decided to complete a novena, which involves praying for nine days. On the ninth day, a mysterious carpenter arrived at the chapel. He agreed to build the staircase for the nuns. He looks like a Lifetime holiday movie Santa. He sure does. Toxic, he's in a Lifetime movie as well. Yeah. All right, I want to point out at this point in the story that this is like a legend. This is not like super well documented. So we're just going off of like the story that they tell. Um, But I mean, I guess we can just for the purposes of this assume that it's 100% accurate to what happened. Okay. All right. So... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> After more than six months, his work was completed. The nuns were amazed at the spiral staircase that he had built. It was able to stand without any central support. Instead, it rests by its own geometric design. It's a very steep staircase as well. It's 22 feet and has two 360-degree turns. The carpenter must have been a master carpenter. Interestingly... <laughs> There are 33 steps to, in the staircase, which is the same amount of years that Jesus was alive. Okay. So maybe that's a sign that it was a miracle. The nuns planned to thank him with a dinner, but he vanished and was never identified. So he didn't take any money. He just said, here's your staircase, and he fucked off. So My question was, okay, he's working on this for six months. For free. They never paid him in any of that they time. They were going to give him a dinner. Like, they have got a lot of money. I guess the chapel wasn't okay. up and running. They he, weren't taking collections. In the, like, reenactment, he comes by and he's like, Sister, I'm a carpenter and I'm in need of work. And she's like, Oh, our prayers are answered. We need a staircase. He didn't say, I'm in need of doing hard fucking labor for free. <laughs> he said, I'm in need of work. Which would mean they would pay him. It seems like they did not pay him at all in six months. They apparently didn't even make him food before in this whole six months. He wasn't even getting, like, room and board. Did they ever ask his name in six months? Doesn't seem like it. Like, that he's working... If they did, it did not survive to this day. Well, that's just... That's just rude. (laughs) Sister... Agatha. That's why I think there's a lot that's left out. Like, maybe he showed up and agreed to do this and they just never paid him and that's why he just disappeared and then they didn't keep his name because they didn't want to, like, tell people that, hey, we... He gave them an invoice and they were like, we're not going to pay it. We're nuns. What are you going to (laughs) do? Exactly. Fuck off. That could have been how... Like, he built this beautiful... Are you going to sue nuns? I don't think so. Get the fuck out of (laughs) here. That's what they said. That was a direct quote. That was was Sister Agatha. (laughs) From whatever the hell chapel this was. She said, get the... That's actually carved in stone by the door. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. It's really beautiful. So the staircase stands to this day, and many still wonder who the carpenter may have been. In 1965, Uh, a a master carpenter named Oscar Hadwiger visited the staircase and claimed that the mysterious carpenter was his grandfather, Joan... Joan Hadwiger? Sure. He had told his relatives that he had traveled throughout Colorado and New Mexico building various things. He claimed that he had built the staircase back in 1878. It's possible that maybe this guy's grandfather just did it out of the goodness of his heart. I guess that could have been. But how did he eat? I have no idea. How did he pay for materials? Maybe he was rich. I don't know. In 1970, Oscar found tools that he believes were his grandfather's and that was used to build the staircase, along with several design plans that may have been used for it. Um, including included in this find was a like a hand drawn spiral staircase that had thirty three stairs. So and we all know that this is the only spiral staircase in the entire world. 
Oh, wait, you've seen other spiral staircases? <laughs> That's why this kind of doesn't seem that impressive. Well, I think it could have been this guy's grandfather. He, His grandfather said, I was traveling in this area building things. I'm a ma- he was a master carpenter. He had a design for a spiral staircase. He said, I built that spiral staircase. The issue is that the nuns want to believe that it was a miracle and this was a man sent from God. And so they completely dismiss this. In fact, the nun that they interview for the show says that she doesn't buy it. Um, Of course not, because they did their prayer thing, and then this guy showed up, and then they didn't pay him. Which the part I don't understand is, couldn't you believe that God sent this person who was actually a person and, like, put it on his heart that uh, he was going to build this staircase for these this chapel like yeah that, that seems, seems just perfectly. as miraculous as he was literally an angel sent from the sky like that's so the nuns don't want to accept that they have the answer to who did it maybe but, it's because they don't want to pay the grandson <laughs> because they've got this outstanding invoice maybe. in the back that's for thousands of dollars and they're like we don't want to pay that there just is, say just say it was a saint exactly so there is really no concrete proof but there is some evidence that maybe it was this guy i don't know anyway this beautiful staircase stands to this day you can if you're visiting santa fe new mexico it's a tourist attraction you can go see it it's the loretta chapel i honestly can't remember if i saw this or not i know i went to the chapel and i can't remember if you had to pay to see the staircase you probably do so if that's the case then i was i'm sure i went i've seen a staircase and i i laughed because that does not sounds like something i would pay money for it does look beautiful in fact um this man's grandfather grandson became obsessed with the staircase and made like three like perfect models of it out of wood and those themselves look gorgeous they show one in the show um but yeah look i'm just a cheapskate i don't know what to tell you (laughs) oh i want to hear from people in new mexico who have seen the thing which the I thing? never went to see. All over New Mexico, there are these billboards that are like, stop and see the thing. And they don't tell you what the thing is. <laughs> and from what I've heard, the thing is not really one thing. It's like a place you go where there's all these like carved branches and weird shit. And you keep going through until at the end, it's Hitler's car. What? (laughs) Yes. I would be so pissed (laughs) if I show up and I expect to see this, like, glowing blob that's, like, from outer space, (laughs) and it's fucking Hitler's car? Yep. Why haven't we burned it? That's a great question. Okay. But I would like to hear from other people if you had, if you can confirm that that's what the thing is. Hmm. A bunch of weird carved wooden branches and Hitler's car. (laughs) bizarre okay oh new mexico i love you (laughs) okay we've got one more it's sad as hell yep so you might want to grab a stuffed animal hold it close to your heart warm cup of tea yeah because this one's rough it's not good you're not gonna have a lot of faith in humanity nope we talk about the case of nylene marshall from clancy montana This dates back to June 25th, 1983, which I want to think that that was a good year, but apparently not. On that day, four-year-old Nyleen vanished while on a trip with her mother and stepfather in the Elkhorn Mountains. Um, They were on a picnic at Helena National Forest. There was other families there. She was like... Other children? Out at this creek, like this very shallow creek. 
sort of splashing and playing with other children, like hopping from rock to rock. Like, it sounds like the place you would go as a kid and have so much fun. It's like the absolute most wholesome shit you can imagine. Like you're out there for a family picnic and then you meet other children and that you instantly become their best friend, right? And you just have like a day running and frolicking and enjoying the sunshine and I don't know, catching a frog or something. Sounds lovely. Sounds lovely. Unfortunately, around 4 p.m., she and several other children were playing, while while playing on the banks of the creek, Eileen is never seen again. There's like a massive manhunt for her that turns up nothing. A couple of the children remembered an unidentified man in a purple jogging suit talking to Nailene. And this is terrifying. Yeah. One of them says that he pointed in a direction and told her to follow the shadow. Oh, that's so creepy. That's the last person she's seen with before she vanished. Disappears. Now, these eyewitnesses are probably also like four. That's true. So, who really knows? But... It seems like there's all these kids playing, you know, the adults were still eating or whatever, and this guy approaches Nile and is like, hey, you want to play a game? Like, let's run this direction. And it seems perfectly harmless to a four-year-old, and then... She's gone. She's never seen again. Um, Her family spreads, you know, missing persons flyers across the United States... (coughs) The update on this, or, like, not officially an update in an Unsolved Mysteries way, but the Center for Missing and Exploited Children received an anonymous call in November 27th, two years later, in 85, claiming that he had Nileen. Two months later, an organization called Children Find of America received a typewritten letter from the same man. He claimed that he was raising her as his own child, and that he now called her Kay. He claimed that he loved her, and that even though he was sure her family missed her, that he was going to keep her. And there's, like, all these yeah things about, like, traveling the world with her, and how no one was questioning their passports, and references to sexual abuse, and... It's horrible. Over the next six months, Children Find of America received two more letters and another two phone calls from this man. They were all received from Madison, Wisconsin. The FBI was able to trace those calls, but they were to phone booths and Edgerton, and that, you know, there was nothing else they could do after that. Um, And they subsequently stopped. The letters were postmarked from the Madison area. Um... Nileen had been sighted all over the country, which they were felt like fit with his claims he was traveling with her, but also... People have sightings of missing persons all the time. People sight Elvis all... You know what, like... Yeah, it's not... That's not that credible. Yeah, it's really, really sad. Um, So... Nileen's uncle also saw two composite sketches of a man and a woman wanted for a child abduction in another part of the country, and he believes he saw them the first day of the search from Nileen. M- maybe? Like, the, I'm looking at these sketches right now. They're very generic. Yeah, those are bad. The, this guy sort of looks like a 
I don't, almost like a Ken doll or something. Like, it's just a shape of a face and then, like, yeah, that's that, not very specific. And is this supposed to be a grown woman? Because that looks like a girl. She looks 12 and mean. Yeah, the, those are not good sketches. So, I don't know, maybe. Um, he had claimed he had taken her to San Francisco, New York, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Nashville, Chicago, Puerto Rico, Canada, Great Britain... I am not convinced that the person writing these letters and making these phone calls is the abductor. No, people get called. Unfortunately, this is this phenomenon that happens where families of missing children get these calls. It happened in the Jacob Wetterling case. None of those people had Jacob. Yeah. But they harassed the family. It's for it's years. Cruel. And I'm not a psychologist and I can't explain what would compel people to do that. But but it does happen. It does happen. And we also saw that in that case of the couple from Canada that got murdered and then their family got taunting letters and it turned out it was just someone who was mentally unwell. Um, I would... I don't. I have no real reason to say this, but my gut instinct is that the person writing these letters and making these phone calls is not the person who abducted Nyleen. Probably not. And I just don't think they would want to leave that evidence to no. to trace them. Okay, so there's a tw- there's a twist that was not talked about on Unsolved Mysteries, and this is yeah, wild. I'm like on the edge of my seat. So, following the airing. Oh, viewer believes that one of his schoolmates was Nyleen. So he called in the telecenter and was like, look into this person. I think they might be Nyleen. So the police went to their house. It wasn't Nyleen. It was another missing child. What? Monica Benilla, who was abducted by her father. That's a different Unsolved Mysteries case that we haven't gotten to yet. What? That's crazy. How did this kid know? Did she I like? Don't know. Did she say something to her classmate? I don't know. Maybe he was just like something feels off about this. Yeah. I have no idea. But it turns out she had been abducted by her father after her mother got custody, and he had like kidnapped her and like changed her name and moved, and you know. Wow, that is wild. So she ended up reunited with her mother and her half brother wow. after that. After this case aired. That's that's crazy. That's crazy. That's Unfortunately, Nyleen remains unsolved. And then her mother was actually murdered oh. in Mexico in 1995. What? Yes. Oh, that's so terrible. Yes. That sweet woman that was like, everywhere I go, it might look like I'm having a nice time, but I'm really just looking for my child. She was murdered? She was murdered. Oh, my God. Wow. There is a Find a Grave page for Nyleen's mom if you um, want to leave a message for her. Um, Nyleen's case is a part of the Doe Network and several other databases like that if you're interested in trying to... God damn it. It's just so sad. I hate it. really awful. It's an absolute worst nightmare. Missing four-year-olds. That's not... Did you at any point think while watching this that maybe she was just lost in the National Forest? Based on how many people and children go missing in national forests? I don't, only because it seems like... There were a lot of other people there. There was a lot of other people there, and it seems like they had like a pretty massive manhunt right away. True. That's true. I just thought... I thought of these cases because um, there's so many bizarre stories yeah. of people who go missing in weird ways. Like, children who it seems like they can't, they're not old enough to, like, walk super well are found, like, miles and miles and miles away from yeah. their campsite in, like, the dead of winter. Like, there's really wild stories about people going missing in National Parks. I guess parks. it's if you believe this purple jogging suit man thing. That's the thing. And it does seem like she was 
interacting with the other kids. She had no reason to leave them. Like, right. That, it seems likely like that she was abducted. Like, if she left playing, you would sort of think that she was lured away. Right. It does seem like the most likely, unfortunately. Unfortunately. And... I mean, her being lost and... They show a, like, updated, you know, age photo of what she would look like at 33, and it's... So sad. So sad. So that's the bummer of the yeah. thing that we end with. Should we rate the episode? Yes. All right. How do you feel about the mysteriousness? I thought this was pretty Very mysterious. Very mysterious. None of this is solved. I mean, there is a staircase, but other than that, we don't know what the fuck's going on in any no, of these cases. I'm a thumbs up, I think. Thumbs way up for me. Reenactments. Solid. I, I thought they were pretty quite good. good. I did particularly appreciate how they changed the victim in the first yeah. Norman. They made Norman a lot younger, but maybe they didn't do that intentionally. I feel like though that aside, if we if that's allowed, I felt like the reenactment was very like composed well. Yeah. Like the music was good, like it was very gripping, but also like serious, like not too melodramatic. And I thought Nailene's was like scary but not exploitative yeah i also like the new mexico reenactments i thought they set the stage the costumes the set all of right, that was really right. good they were in the actual chapel yeah i thought so i'm a thumbs up i think yeah the only the silliest part is definitely the like trucks yeah <laughs> driving around but it's just like dated it's not yeah you know and that's kind of good in its own way yeah absolutely of course fashion Eh. Did anything stand out to you? I don't think it, it did. <laughs> Robert Stack had that ugly tie he seems to like so much at one point. Oh, I did write down that at the very beginning... He was, like, in, in a haunted house. He's, like, stalking a haunted house. Yeah. He's, like, outside a haunted house on the sidewalk. It's like weird. Just hanging around. Um, Spooky, I guess. I don't know. The one piece of fashion that stands out is the girl reenacting Nyleen's sweater. Oh, gosh. That which is, was like, the most... A sweater. Great 80s, like, ski sweater, and I want it. Yeah. But also, that is on a four-year-old who goes missing i know i'm kind of whatever on the fashion oh yeah and robert stack not in it so much he really really didn't appear much he just told us about the glory of the open road thanks robert stack yeah so patron saint of the perhaps it's you podcast all right out of a possible five out of five robert stacks i would give it a four i think a three and a half is kind of i think it's pretty good it's good i i think your first mystery in particular is very mysterious yeah and has a possible cover-up, and yet another murder by Hillary Clinton. Yet another. The the trucker murder is a little straightforward, but it's something different. It has some elements that we've never seen before. Yeah, and um, the missing person is sad as hell, but... I mean, that comes I'm with glad the territory. That, I'm glad that it solves this other missing child. That's wild. And I think the nuns should have got a zipline, so I would go with... <laughs> Four. All right, I'm a three and a half. I think that's where we stand. And that's it. That's a wrap now on episode we'll, 10. Now we're going to fight it out over that last <laughs> half Robert Stack. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Just oh, wait, no. Bounds. No. What, what do you think Mustache would rate it? No mustache would probably rate everything five out of five Robert Stacks. Dogs are just always happy like that. That's true. I was going to say he would rate it one because it didn't have enough revolutionary themes. <laughs> He's like, but it speaks not of the ill of the bourgeoisie. <laughs> you know, maybe that's what mustache would say. <laughs> yes, Liz, maybe that's what a dog would say. 
<laughs> was a revolutionary dog. So, all right. Do you have something to recommend? The first recommendation of 2019? <laughs> I do, and I'm excited about it. Okay. And it's makeup related, Ooh. so if you don't care about that, you can just fast forward. <laughs> I ordered this from Ulta during the, like, Black Friday, you know, hullabaloo. Yeah. It's the Desert Oasis palette from BH Cosmetics, Ooh. and I just love it so much. Can we see? Ooh. Have you used that bright blue? Ah, yes, I have. I think I wore that for some Christmassy thing. So it's mostly like a shimmery palette. And it's surprisingly earthy for me to pick. There's a lot of neutral tones. They're kind of warm They're so easy to apply and so soft and so shimmery. And it's just like... I like the the big ones. I'm going to swatch this. It's just like... Bam. Wow, that is a lot of shimmer. It's so good. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because BHS Cosmetics is, like, pretty cheap. So I bought this on Black Friday, but even full price, it's $22. That is pretty good. And you get a lot of shadow. Yeah. Like, those big pans of, like, the... This is technically supposed to be highlighter, this side, but... You could use it on your eyes, too. I just use it as shadow because they're kind of, like, too, I don't know, coppery for me as a highlight. But... I, it's just, like, super blendable and really fucking easy. You just, like, bump, bump, bump. One and done. Yeah. I really like shimmers like that. You can, like, even you just use your finger just to, like, put on your eyelid, and then all of a sudden you look made up. Yeah, exactly. And this is, like, this color sand, this, like, neutral color is, like, fucking perfect. Oh this makes god. me want to buy some makeup. Oh my god. For I'm just going to sit here and look at all these pretty shiny things. No, it's just like super easy to use and I I now I'm just like, well, I think I'll just keep using this until it's gone because I love it so much. I love palettes like that. Liz got me some Becca highlighters as a gift and my favorite one is the purple one. Really? I've used it a lot. It doesn't really look purple on the skin necessarily. It's just but it's this beautiful like it gives you this glow that's just like the perfect amount of extra. I really like it. I gave Samantha these like mini highlighters, and one of them was called Amethyst. And when I gave it to her, I was like, look, you're never going to use the Amethyst one. It's fine. I've used that one the most <laughs> out of all of them. <laughs> because I just expected it to be like really purple. Purple. It's, it's very subtle when you put it on your skin. It looks really nice. I don't know that it would look nice on all skin tones, but on mine, it looks really nice. Yeah. And they're the right, the right size because they're these little, so you you're get a variety. Ne- you're never going to use a highlighter. I never, yeah, n- never, I ever. Mean, yeah. They're called, like, little highlighter macaroons. Super cute. Of course. Oh. Yeah, I I don't really have that much to say about this. I just love it. And it's pretty affordable, and... I love recommendations for affordable makeup, because you really don't need to spend all your money on makeup to get something good. That, it's fascinating to me. So I didn't buy any makeup for, like, fucking 15 years. I just, like, cut it as an expense, and, you know, whatever. It was, like, too broke. And then, you know, the election came, and I was watching a lot of Drag Race, and I was like, you know, I want, I want to buy some makeup again. But it had changed a lot in that right. time. And in learning about it, drugstore makeup is so much better than it used to be. So much. And price doesn't really correspond to quality at all. It's like, it's such a crapshoot. Right. Like, even within one line, like, one color could be good but one color could be terrible. Like, so it is kind of helpful to get some recommendations and reviews. And I just, I think these are like so, so pretty. And yeah, 22 is not bad. And also I feel like 
Beach Cosmetics goes on sale at Ulta a lot, so you could probably get it well, for less than that. Well, that's a huge palette. That size palette in some of the higher-end brands would be 80 bucks. Right. So the fact that you got it for 20 and then you got it on sale is like, I think that's a really great deal. It, and, so, and that's one so of those nice. things where, unless you're like collecting makeup, like the people on YouTube, you don't need that many eyeshadows. Like, you could just have that. Yeah. You don't need anything else. I mean, else. it's pretty shimmery. There's a few mattes, but I feel like it's just to put under shimmers. Probably. But, um, I'll, yeah, like, I'll get a lot of abuse out of this. Anyway, I just Nice love big it. mirror, that's good, too. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not like that, for $22, it's not like the nicest packaging, like, this is cardboard, but the mirror is not, like, warped. Right. It's like, it works. It's not like one of those that are kind of like a funhouse mirror. Exactly. Yeah. So you so. could actually like take that traveling or something. Yeah, and I, and also like if it breaks, you're not out all that money. Right. So, yeah, great recommendation. That's my recommendation. I brought this when I was home for the holidays and that's just all I used and it was perfect. Nice. Yeah. So, in lieu of a recommendation, all oh, this kind of a recommendation. I thought I would give my review of the movie Bird Box. Oh, because yes, yes, I wanted to talk to you about this. I read the book, and I actually recommended the book on the podcast, and I was reminded that I had recommended that book on our Facebook group. Um, and So I finally watched the movie Friday night, uh-huh. and I was really looking forward to it. I, f- I don't want to say I was disappointed, but when I saw how much hype it was getting, I'm like, ugh, is this going to be good? Yeah. I will say my basic recommend- my basic review is that overall I liked it. And if I think about the movie as its own thing and I don't compare it to the book, I think it yeah. was an okay movie. I don't regret the time I spent watching it. I would recommend people see it. It wasn't very scary. The book is definitely horror. And I would say the film is more of a thriller. Yeah. In fact, Travis refused to watch it with me because he doesn't watch horror movies. And I think he could have because I don't watch horror movies either. I wasn't scared. Um, the things I liked about it, the acting, obviously Sandra Bullock. I love everything she does. Um, Wong from SVU, which he's been in a lot of that things. That was such a pleasant surprise. I didn't know he was going to be in it. Um, I was like, hello. Did you watch the movie? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I was like, look, Wong looking like that, a daddy. I was, I was here for that it. That haircut. It looks nice. He, I swear he looks better every year. Yeah. So I <laughs> enjoyed that very much. Um, the film is a lot less fucked up than the book. Oh, interesting. That was why Travis said he wouldn't watch it with me, because he's like, I heard it's really fucked up. And I was like, I don't... I mean, if they stick... If they're true to the book, it would be super fucked up. But they really tamed it down, and I thought it probably appeals to a wider audience because of that. There's no dogs in the film, which I appreciated. And a, uh. a part of me was sad to see some of those plot lines fall off. But you can't put it all in. Well, yeah. And the fate of the dogs in the book is not good. And so I wasn't looking forward to seeing that on the film. I'm happy they cut that out. I'm happy with most of the decisions they made. I mean, you're always going to have changes when you adapt a book to a film, right? I mean, they're going to have to cut things out. They're going to have to go faster. Like, that's just how it is. And I thought, for the most part, they made good choices. The things I didn't like. Um, I thought they jumped right into it too fast. They figured out what was going on really quickly. They didn't have time to waste on it. They're like, not at all. obviously, I, we can't look at this thing. And I was like, okay. How did you know based that? Based on what? Yes. So, in the book, the lead up to the event, this is one of my favorite things about post-apocalyptic fiction, is the seeing the characters before and after, you know, the, yeah. the world ends. And in the book, it's much more of a slow burn where you 
get a lot of events leading up to it, and you kind of feel that suspense. Right. Um, they jump right into it in the film. They don't have time. In a way where I feel like if you didn't read the book, maybe you wouldn't care about that as much as I do, but I really missed that yeah. in the film. That which makes sense. They don't have time. I get it. They have to cut things out. Um, the other thing that I found weird, and maybe having not read the book, maybe this you'll tell me if you thought this was weird, is that there's a lot of characters that like don't do anything. Like, sure, yeah. most of the plot is in this house. And in the f- book, obviously, the characters are much more well-fleshed out. But in the movie, there's, like, characters you never really even meet. I don't even remember any of their some of their names. I'm like, why were these characters even there? They don't do anything. And it's just this really crowded house where you don't get to know right. almost anyone. Like, there's a few characters you do get to know, and there's, like, these other ones that just end up disappearing. Are just in the way. Yeah. yeah. So that's bizarre. I didn't love that as much. My biggest gripe is that they don't really flesh out the bird box part very well in the film. Like, I get what they were doing in the film, but it's a lot different than the book. And okay. a lot of the plots that in the book went along with, like, the box of birds are some of the scariest parts of the book and the most suspenseful. And they just completely got rid of them. And I feel like in the film, they got rid of them so that they could fit in more of this plotline that I find kind of problematic in which they use people with mental illnesses as villains. One of the central parts of the climax does kind of surround that, but it's not like the biggest part of the book and it's not as overt and problematic as I thought it was in the film. I actually was going to ask you about that after we finished recording. Yeah, so I don't like that. And it's it's in the book too, and I will admit it's problematic, but it's there's so much more in the book. And they left all that out and really played up this part in the film. And not only did I not like it, but I thought... What a lot of the criticisms I have seen on the internet around this movie is that it was predictable. And I think that's part of it. Like, it's just a tired trope that is completely predictable and not suspenseful at all. And they could have gotten rid of that and been more true to the story in the book. And I think it would have been more exciting and a yeah. lot less problematic. Yeah, because I, I was... Ex- okay, Spoilers. If you haven't watched this, I'm going to plug your ears or some shit. Yeah, you may want to cut this off. Yeah. That there are people who can look. And I thought that was going to be, like, better explained at some point. And it just wasn't. And It was, ma- over, it was simplified in the film to be people with mental illness, basically. Yeah, and, but I thought there was going to be, like, a reason. Or, you know, some, like, some more explanation to that. And Mac was like... Why is it that they're acting like people have, like, a bad gene or... It's basically saying, if you're already crazy, then then you're not going to go crazy. Like, that's basically what they're they're saying in the film. Yeah. And that is sort of unsaid in the book, but it really is surrounding one character. This is a spoiler. Um, In the movie, it's, like, this whole plot point with all these characters, and that's sort of the climax, and that's not in, in in the book at all. So in the book and in the film, too, there's three time periods. There's before, and then there's, like, in the house with all the characters. And then there's this time, this is not a spoiler because you learned this at the beginning, where Sandra Bullock's character is alone, essentially alone. Um, They changed almost everything about that third time period. Mm. And I think if they would have stayed more true to that, it would have been less predictable. It would have had much less of this nonsense. And Mm. it would have been scarier. I found the beginning of the movie really riveting, and then, like, as it went on, yeah, it was just, like, very predictable, and, like, other movies you've seen, like, yeah. 
kind of like 28 Days Later, kind of like just a lot of post-apocalyptic you're just like, okay, now is the part where blah, 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 right? Right, now is the part where, yeah, we meet these right quote-unquote And I creeps. also felt like it sort of had a message of, like, don't help people. Because every time <laughs> they did, it ended up being bad. Yeah. And so that didn't seem great to me. It was sort no. of like, only help children or, like, only help your, like, literal family or... I don't know, but it was sort of like, don't help strangers, and I was like, that is not really the message we need right now, is to not care about people you don't personally know. Well, and part of what they left out in the film is how they survived, because it was so fast. Yeah. And so, in the book, you really get more of how the characters interact, and how they team up, and how they make these plans to get from day to day. Yeah. And they have these, like, missions they go on, and they use that bird box a lot more in a way that makes, which, which interacts more with the outside world, and it's much more suspenseful. It has a aspect of, they kind of form their own family amongst, you know, they were right. previously strangers. So a lot of that just got cut out in the film. And yeah, the end result is something that's really simplified and yeah, kind of has this message of only take care of yourself. Right. So also there was like five minutes where I thought Sarah Paulson and Sandra Bullock were lesbians and then <laughs> they weren't. And maybe that's just me typecasting Sarah Paulson and I apologize. But then I was, I was like, oh, they're sisters. Bummer. That was not well played out at all. Bummer. Because there's a part where Sandra Bullock's like painting and then Sarah Paulson comes in with these like groceries and like looks at her lovingly. And I was like, oh, Sarah Paulson, so typecast. Always the lesbian. And then it was like, wait, they're sisters. Whoops. Yeah, I thought it was a nice loving partnership with a a, a horse girl and an artist. And, <laughs> and then I was kind of like, That oh. could be your fan fiction. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure someone's working on that already. That's already exists. So that's my review of you Bird Box. You need to write fine. the Bird Box meets Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. Worlds collide. <laughs> Except it's a phantom pig as the main character. (laughs) That picture you found of a phantom pig who's, like, standing in a boat? That's his... You know, underneath the opera house where he has that, like, lair and there's a moat around it? Oh. Obviously, you haven't watched The Phantom of the Opera a million times when you were in (laughs) middle school. No, I haven't. (laughs) Sorry. So that's that's what he's... I see. If you don't follow us on social media, we posted this photo I found on Google Images about... Literally, it's a pig wearing a Phantom of the Opera mask and outfit. It's my new favorite thing. (laughs) He's in a little rowboat. Someone get a tattoo of that. (laughs) It's so good. Phantom pig. Because in our holiday special, we talked about a phantom pig at the Minnesota Minnesota State State Fairgrounds. Which, let us know if you've been to the fair and you saw the phantom pig. I'm assuming you didn't get a picture of it, because... No pictures exist. He cannot be captured on film. (laughs) Well, well, that's probably where we should leave it for today. (laughs) You should follow us on the social media. Yes, Facebook. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, perhaps it's you. We post... That's the kind of shit we post. If you want to see a <laughs> cute little pig wearing a phantom of the opera mask, you know where to find it. Join our Facebook group as well. On Facebook, we have a group called the official, unofficial... Something, something. Perhaps, perhaps it's you. It's the only one. Podcast group. You'll find it. Join that. We interact with our fans there a lot. If you want to email us a paranormal tale, which like no one has been doing, so please, if you saw a ghost, if you saw the phantom pig, if you... I don't know, saw Mommy Bigfoot. If you, you should... had a ghost in your drain. Yeah. Did you 
once flood your dorm and then try to blame it on a ghost, we will count that. You should email us at perhaps it's you podcast at gmail. There's also a form on our website, perhapsitsyou.com. If you want to throw a little bit of money our way, you'll get bonus content. We post something every month, and occasionally we do things like watch parties, where you can watch the show along with us. It's perhaps or it's patreon.com slash perhapsitsyou. Yep. And uh, if you join, you get a welcome postcard from yep. us, because we're so great. Handwritten. Yep. Is there anything else? I think that's about all I got. Oh, thank you for our presence, everyone. We love and you so much. Happy New Year, and you should... Make your resolution to solve a mystery. Yes. Whoa. And then tell us about it. All right. Bye. Bye.